Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Good morning. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. I hope you're all well. It's good to see you. Um, first of all, I'd like to say welcome also to our other sanghas in Madison, England, Switzerland, Chicago, Hawaii, Alpine. I think that's everybody. And everybody in between that usually is here or it listens in from other parts. Welcome, welcome to everyone. Uh, before I start, I'd like to go over some announcements. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, one is that on the 23rd of this month, we're having the GISO ceremony um, that will be led by Joel. And um, I think he's still in the organizing part of it. So stay tuned for the details of that event. I think it's going to be really fun this year. I'll say that much. Um, so anyway, stay tuned for that. Um, also, um, there's the um, three day intensive um, on June 4th to June 6th. And uh, Peg will be leading that. Um, with uh, one of the other teachers. Um, Flint, I don't think will be here for that, <clears throat> but Peg will. Actually, she's gonna be a person, I believe, here. Is that right? No? She's not gonna be here. I lied. Um, so anyway, the details will be coming out on that soon. Um, so stay tuned. And also on the 6th, um, we're having the exit ceremony for our head student, current head student, Kim Mosley. So uh, that will, I know, will be at two o'clock. So stay tuned um, for that too. Please come. Uh, it will be Zoom, of course, but uh, those are just lovely ceremonies. And, and Kim has worked so hard and on his koan all this time. And it's going to be, that's going to be a fun event too. So that's June the 6th. Also, uh, Kim is still leading teas, I presume. So uh, you can sign up with him online um, to uh, meet for him, meet with him for the for a tea. And it's really special because his wife uh, does the tea ceremony. She does a, a mini version. It's so lovely to see. Um, it's amazing. So I recommend if you haven't done that already, see Kim. It'll be a fun fun discussion. Um, lastly, I'll just uh, say that discussions are being held now about opening the Zendo. It won't be anytime uh, really soon, but it'll be anyway, it's being discussed by the board and um, how it will happen and so forth. So that's that's really exciting to be even be talking about it after so long, well over a year. So Stay tuned for the announcements on that one too. 
So to begin the beginning, um, today I would like to discuss a Dharma talk that is, uh, was given by Suzuki Roshi at the Austin Zen Center. And it's another one that's published in his book, uh, Not Always So. And the name of it is The Teaching Just For You. Uh, I'll also give some commentary on this as we go along. <clears throat> so my title for this talk is Buddha's teaching is for everyone. Buddha's teaching is just for me. Two sides of the practice uh, coin. Oh, I meant San Francisco Zen Center. Thank you, Kim. <laughs> Suzuki Rogers at San Francisco. Okay. So um, when we think of practice, we think uh, we think we we think we're gonna we expect something out of it, right? We generally do. All right. So so in practice, we we expect we expect to get something out of it. We expect something. And so um, we think if we try hard, we'll have some improvement in our practice. And we think that if we set a goal, that will eventually reach it. And we even might think that day by day, our day by day practice will lead to uh, some physical and mental conditioning. So all of that uh, is is probably true. <clears throat> However, it's not the whole story. Um, this is not a complete, this is not a whole understanding. Um, so we do Zazen, well, Suzuki Roshi says we don't do Zazen, Zazen does us, but at any rate, um, with the understanding that the goal is not, not uh, going to be reached in one or two years, but rather practice the goal is right now. We're working with right now. We're not thinking of what we'll get in one to two years. It's right now. Our practice is what we're dealing with right now on the cushion. Whoops. So by practicing in this way, you know, immediately, it takes care of many things. You, you remain concentrated and you're completely involved with your practice, the practice that you have right now. So there's a lot of uh, instructions that are given, you know, as far as our breath and how we sit, that kind of thing. So you can uh, practice hard enough to feel the goal of practice right now. It's interesting that he uses that word to feel. Um, anyway, to feel the goal of the practice right now. So you might say, well, my practice is, is not, not good enough for me to feel the goal of practice right now. And even though you say that, uh, that your practice is not, is not good, your practice, this is your practice. It's, it is 
where you are right here right now and that's what you're going to practice with it doesn't matter what you think about it if, even if you might think it's great okay but you're still practicing with what <laughs> what you what you have right now today at this moment good or bad there isn't anything other than what you have right now so part of uh, approaching or maybe all of approaching perfect practice, if there is such a thing, which is to accept yourself. And in terms of this idea of good or bad practice, because these thoughts that we have about good or bad are not really helpful. They're just some ideas about it. It's just talking about it. Now that the, by saying that your uh, practice is perfect, given that you're practicing with what you have right now, can some people can misunderstand that <clears throat> and they'll think about it in a purely objective way. And they might use it of use it at some sort of excuse. Ah, okay, well, if we're sitting in the zendo, which of course we're not, if we're sitting in Zoom. If we're sitting um, and we, that's perfect practice, right? So we don't really have to, um, if we just sit a little bit, we don't, you know, that's, that's good. That's enough. We don't have to stay more than one period or we don't have to do long sits, you know, sessions or what have you, because we have a perfect practice. And of course, this is the wrong understanding of the perfect practice. This understanding is, is totally superficial. And most importantly, according to Suzuki Roshi, is it doesn't take into consideration the subjective side of practice the subjective side. Okay, so what is he talking about here? He says, truth is always here. So saying it is so, or saying that something is the truth, like this comment about just sitting one period or not worrying about sitting longer than that and improving your practice because it's perfect, um, is is not practicing with the truth. And so it's not Zazen. He also says when we practice when we're not when we're not practicing the truth, he this must be a Chinese um, phrase or Japanese phrase, I'm sorry. It's too bad Nancy's not here. Um, I think we could ask her, but he says that it's like eating um, painted cake or that and this painted cake is means actually it's something that you can't really eat. It has no value. It has no um, result. And so that's what he says, not being truthful in our practice or about our practice. So if it has it's what you're being fed has no taste. 
you'll end up giving up, just going away because it doesn't mean anything. The practice doesn't mean anything. It provides no result. So it's better to go somewhere else where you can, um, rather than eat what's offered at the Zen Center. Another pitfall he mentions is um, sometimes, I guess this probably with, with new students, um, when somebody calls them a Zen student, they get they feel kind of proud. Ah, now I'm a Zen student. But Suzuki Roshi says that's what's going on there is you're really encouraging the ego um, when you're focusing in that way. And that's not practicing Zen. So when you sit like that, Zen doesn't mean anything. True Zen cannot be like that. If it were, he says, that Zen would have disappeared a long, long time ago. In reality, Zen is alive. It's alive because of the other side of the truth, the subjective side. Um, so I'm going to throw something in here just so, and you can um, comment what you think about this, is so my sense about this objective versus subjective, the objective practice is one that, inv that is involved with the forms and the, the, the structure, the rules, that's the objective side. And the subjective is more what your approach to it or what you bring to it. It's, it's more the personal aspect of your practice. Well, say with, hear what he says more and see if that fits. So he says that various sages and uh, ancestors have uh, said that the Buddha left this teaching for me, not for anyone else. That's kind of funny. So what does that mean? Apparently, this teaching seems very personal to them, a teaching that truly speaks to them. For example, uh, Nichiren, who's a 13th century Japanese priest and philosopher, um, declared that the Lotus Sutra alone contains the highest truth of Buddha's teachings. And he insisted that the sovereign of Japan support only this form of Buddhism and the rest of them should be eradicated. <laughs> He's a very passionate guy. <laughs> so uh, the Buddha, in his mind, the Buddha left the Lotus Sutra just for Nichiren. So um, if this side is forgotten, the side of the truth is forgotten, the Buddha's teaching is nothing but it's just paper to throw in the trash. It's meaningless. So you say, well, gee whiz, if I say the teachings are just for me, what's that about? Isn't that arrogance? And Suzuki Roshi says, no, it's not. Rather, what it means is that you have full appreciation of the teaching as your own. 
And he goes on to say, I am one being. No one can take my position. I can't fool myself. I am one being. No one can take my position. It says position. I wonder if the meaning is really place. No one can take my place. Maybe that's the same. Anyway, the way, the way I understand this, uh, way I'm understanding it at this point, that this, this attitude is much like <clears throat> the idea of the development of someone like a musician. You know, you start out and you have the, um, you start by learning the scales and the fingering and the basics of music, right? And you finally learn how to play a few songs and you go on and you study and study. And, and at some point um, you get really good. And some people, you know, get really great, fantastic musicians. And so there many times they are playing uh, music from centuries ago, right? Classical music. And what, what are they doing? This, this is the music, as I see it, flows through them in such a way that and it comes out, it's the same piece, but it has their flavor. There is no um, way to do a kind of music, right? There's subtleties of speed and, and um, volume and so forth, just little ways that you play it. So I look at it like that with these teachings. The teachings are for everyone, but they're also for us to to practice with and it can they can really um, be very moving for us and it, it ends up they move right through us and we can you know we print it present it to the rest of the world so just as the buddha's teachings the dharma flows through individuals when they make it their own it flows through the person reflecting their own style of flavor that suzuki roshi says is the spirit we need in our zazen practice everyone can be Nichiren. Everyone can be Dogen. Everyone can be Buddha Dharma. Because I practice Zazen, there is Buddha, there is Dogen or Bodhidharma, and there is Buddha's teaching. So it's it's like these teachings live through us, right? It's a way to keep the teachings alive, is through our practice of them. So he says, you realize you are the only being in the world and no one can take over your position or place. That is true. All the teaching is just for you. All the teaching is just for you. So no one can take over my position or place, so I must not fool myself. So these, these are very important points um, for those who practice the way, our, our way, Zen. 
without this kind of confidence and understanding. You will expose the weakness of your practice, which can show up as, oh no, I, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. Look at me, I, I, cannot, I, I can't practice Zazen. Zazen is so beautiful and so perfect, but impossible for me to do the practice. So in that you'll feel the weakness of the of your character and your conduct and you're so preoccupied in this way you'll be unable to sit. This teaching is for me. Whatever you say about yourself. You will be the only one. You cannot escape because the whole world is yours. This is beyond truth that we can talk about. He says this is ultimate truth that we're talking about here. Because, how can you deny the fact that you are the only one? You can criticize yourself and that's, that's relatively easy, right? But when you accept the fact that you are the only one, you have no time to say good practice, bad practice. But because we turn a deaf ear to this truth, we have time to criticize ourselves. When you realize this point, you can hear or see the truth and, and then you can practice Zazen. You accept the truth, whatever it is, good or bad. To practice is to open, this is an important point, to practice is to open yourself up to everything you see as an embodiment of the truth. Embodiment of the truth. This is why we practice Zazen, and this is why everyone can join our practice and why this practice includes every activity of our life. So this is a little bit of my own commentary. So it's like, we are the only ones, or you are the only ones, I'm the only one that can, can do this. No one can take your place. No one can do the practice for you. You are the only one who can actualize your Buddha nature. So what are you waiting for? So it's not a practice that can be compared to other practice as a means to um, attain something. That, you know, we have these instructions that were accumulated from the experiences of many people. And from these, we have the forms we use, just like scientific knowledge is accumulated in a similar way. But Buddhist wisdom puts emphasis on the subjective side of truth. And that is why we say everyone is Buddha. That is how we transmit Buddhist teaching to everyone. It is not just paper transmission, it's warm hand to warm hand. 
and it's through the particular Buddha's teaching is transmitted, right? The subjective side has always been with us and the point has always been emphasized without losing the objective side of the truth. There's both. As I said before, objective is the forms, the instructions. The subjective is Buddha's teaching is for me only. The subjective is being actualized through the particular. Some people who call themselves spiritual, this is according to Suzuki Roshi, ignore the objective side. And Suzuki Roshi says this is a mistake. But he says that being caught in the objective side and ignoring the subjective side, but relying on this objective side with an idle attitude just just doesn't help. Doesn't help. Doesn't help your practice. <laughs> so when only when each of us feels the truth, appreciates, accepts, and is ready to follow the truth, will it work? So when someone puts himself outside the truth in order to study the truth, that's going to be a problem, right? He's not going to know what to do when something happens to him. Suzuki Roshi mentions a story, a Chinese story, about um, uh, a guy who, was, who greatly admired dragons. So he had a lot of dragon paraphernalia. You know, he would make things out of paper or what have you. He had little statues and things, all dragons everywhere. And so a dragon was watching him and saying, he really likes dragons. So maybe I should go visit him. So the, the dragon goes down and sees him. And of course, the, the, the guy is just terrified. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know whether to fall on the ground or jump up and down or, or what. He's, he's, He's not liking it. <laughs> so Suzuki Roshi says we should be the dragon ourselves. And this man should be should have been the dragon himself, then he will not be afraid of them. Be the dragon. Instead of the admiration from afar. So now we're ready to study our way objectively and subjectively. So practicing in this way, Zazen will become your own Zazen. And as you are Buddha, you will express your true nature in various ways. I just love that. Mm. Yeah. This is like the, the, the true you comes out in all sorts of ways when you are you. And that is freedom from the forms of practice. Whatever you do, you will really be you. You will be Buddha in its true sense. So there's a big difference between practicing with understanding and practicing with a lazy practice. <laughs> 
um, with poor superficial understanding, like he mentioned at the beginning, of just form, instruction, and teaching. After all, Buddha said, there is no one you can really rely on. So you should be the boss of everything. Then you will understand Buddha's teaching and our practice as your own. So that's the Dharma talk. <laughs> so unless there's any questions, um, I have an activity for us to do. I don't know how many we are. How many are we? We're eight. Oh, so we're a really small group. Um, well, still, it might be nice to get together in little groups. Maybe we could do um, four groups of two. And then um, we're at 1033 let's say 1035 and then we want to come back for enough time to uh um to, to to finish up the the rest of the ceremony here um so let's come back at uh 10 till so that will be 15 minutes that's probably enough um and so here's what the activity is so um, we may want to put this in the chat, um, or people can take notes. Uh, so the idea is to engage with each other around this topic of objective and subjective practice. <clears throat> and the questions are, at what point does activity become your own, as in art or music or writing or, the, or some other self-expression? That's the first question. Oh, there's Effie. Hi, Effie. I haven't seen you in a while. It's good to see you. Um, okay, so at what point does activity become your own, as in some sort of art, music, writing, or other self-expression? And who or what is expressing itself? <clears throat> And how do you know that? How do you know if something is coming from Buddha nature or from the ego, for example? And lastly, I'm just throwing in something just for fun. Uh, that's what part does presence play, if any, in all of this? And of course, if you want to talk about your practice too, that's great in terms of your own practice. That's wonderful as well. Well, does anybody have any comments or anything they want to share? I, I wanted to talk since I didn't get to talk to anybody. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Go ahead. Fire or so I, I just used the time and I wrote, you know. Well, good for you. Instead of talking to someone. 
And this was a really impactful for me. I want to thank you, Lori, for bringing this up. Um, this practice is just for you. And so I'll just kind of read you what I wrote. Um, Great. The first question was at what, at what point does the activity become your own? Um, it becomes my own when I allow myself to be fully present. Mm. What is, is out there and it includes me in all my parts. Um, for example, uh, with Zazen this past week or so, so I've been really uh, frustrated with myself because I was, I've been very distracted. And uh, even during time that I wasn't sitting, I've been just, I've been having some recurring ruminating thoughts. And my approach at first was like, okay, I need to be able to sit without so much distraction. And, you know, it's that feeling of not, the not being a good Zen student. <laughs> and, and so I was so relating to what you were saying about that. Um, uh, and it did make me start feeling like pulling away from sitting, like this isn't for me right now. I'm not good enough at it. Um, but I, I did bring myself back. And I think that's why we have the structures. I did. I brought myself back to it. And um, I, I, I just made space for sitting because I remember the teaching. Okay. And I made space for sitting with all of it and, you know, the ruminating, but like in a more expanded space or something. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I don't know what's all is going to happen, but the, I will say um, this ruminating is continuing. It, like it didn't make it go away, mm-hmm. but it has a different flavor now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I'm, I'm saying, okay, it has some information for me. That's why it keeps returning. And so I'm paying attention. And, um, and, and I've seen one small sort of change in, a, in an appropriate action around it. So anyway, um, so I, I was thinking about your, what you said, and I think it's present and embodied. That's when it becomes my own. The practice becomes alive when lived through you. And then the just for me translates into for everyone, because obviously everyone's then impacted by that. Yeah. So that's what I got. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing it. That's wonderful. You're welcome. That, that was no accident. <laughs> yeah. You're supposed to be by yourself and write it out. Writing it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we better get to the program unless anybody's got dying to say something. Um, otherwise, we'll be over time. We'll probably be over time a little bit anyway. So I'll head over here so we can finish up. Oh, yeah.